Today we will visit Westminster Abbey, Night Thoughts Among the Tombs, by the Reverend Mr. Moore, who was a poet that Addison wrote the preface for. Tombstone Lectures Addressed to All, a lecture silent but of sovereign use, is the epitaph by Young. When I look on the tombs of the greats, says Mr. Addison, every emotion of envy dies in me. When I read the epitaphs of the beautiful, every inordinate desire goes out. When I meet with the grief of parents on a tombstone, my heart melts with compassion. When I see the tombs of parents themselves, I consider the vanity of grieving for those we must quickly follow. When I see kings lying by those who depose them, when I behold rival wits placed side by side, the holy men that divided the world with their contests and disputes. I reflect with sorrow and astonishment on the little competitions, factions, and debates of mankind. When I read the several dates of those who died but as yesterday, and some 600 years ago, I consider that great day when we shall all of us be contemporaries and make our appearance together. That was taken from the Spectator, intellectual magazine of the day, and it is the intro to Moore's Night Thoughts, along with this further epitaph or afterward, great day for which all other days were made, for which earth rose from chaos, man from earth. Great day of dread, decision, and despair, at thought of thee each sublunary wish. Let's go its eager grasp and drops the world and catches at each reed of hope in heaven. Young. Night Thoughts Among the Tombs by the late Mr. Moore of Cornwall. However, my social hours are enlivened with innocent pleasantry, but every evening in her sable habit, toll the bell to serious consideration. Harvey. Now we begin. Struck with religious awe and solemn dread, I view these gloomy mansions of the dead. Around me tombs in mixed disorders rise and in mute language teach me to be wise. Time was these ashes lived, and time must be when others thus may stand and look at me. Here blended lie the aged and the young, the rich and poor, an undistinguished throng. Death conquers all in time's subduing hand, 
nor tombs nor marble statues can withstand. And then he quotes Shakespeare, all shall dissolve and like the basilisk's fabric of a vision, leave not a wreck behind. Mark yonder ashes and confusion spread, compare earth's living tenants with her dead. How striking the resemblance, yet how just, once life and soul informed this mass of dust. Around these bones now broken and decayed, the streams of life in various channels played. Perhaps that skull so horrible to view with some fair maids, ye bells, as fair as you. These hollow sockets, two bright orbs contained, where the love sported and in triumph reigned. Here glowed the lips, their white as Parisian stone, the teeth disposed in beauteous order shone. This is life's goal, no farther can we view, beyond it all is wonderful and new. Of say a fay, oh say ye spirits in a future state, why do you hide the secrets of your fate? Nor tell your endless pains or joys to none. Is it that men may live by faith alone? The grave has eloquence, its lectures teach, in silence louder than divines can preach. Hear what it says, ye sons of folly, hear. It speaks to you, lend an attentive ear. It bids you lay all vanity aside, a humbling lecture, this for human pride. The clock strikes twelve, how solemn is the sound. Hark how the strokes from hollow vaults rebound. They bid us hasten to be wise and show how rapid in their course our minutes flow. Now airy shapes and hideous specters dance athwart imagination's vivid glance. The felon now attacks the miser's door, and ruthless murder prints her steps with gore. Dull fancy now her dreary path pursues, midst groves of cypress and unhallowed yews. Poetic visions vanish from my brain, and my pulse throbs as feebly as my strain. What means this sudden strange, unusual start, this solemn something creeping to my heart? Why fear to read a gracious God's decree? Why fear to look on that I soon must be? Can man be thoughtless of his end, or proud of charms that claim the coffin and the shroud? Come, let him read these sculptured tombstones o'er, here fix his thoughts and then be vain no more. Let proud ambition learn this lesson hence, how e'er distinguished, dignified her sense. Whatever the honored ensigns of renown, the cap, the hood, the mitre, or the crown, death levels all, nor parts or powers can save. Milton himself must molder in the grave, 
who sung and proved with inspiration strong, the soul immortal in immortal song. Hark, thus death speaks, ingenious sons of men. Why boast the chisel, pencil, or the pen? Will fame, who oft denies her children bread, deceive the living, discompose the dead? No, fame's a breath it cannot worth supply, nor yield you comfort when you come to die. In my dark realms all opposites agree, the heirs of wealth and sons of poverty. Whose tomb is this, it says, tis Myra's tomb, plucked from the world in beauty's fairest bloom. Attend ye fair, ye thoughtless, and ye gay, for Myra died upon the nuptial day. The grave-cold bridegroom clasped her in his arms, and kindred worms destroyed her pleasing charms. In yonder tomb the old Avera lies, once he was rich, the world esteemed him wise. Schemes unaccomplished labored in his mind, and all his thoughts were to this world confined. Death came unlooked for from his grasping hands. Down dropped his bags and mortgages of lands. Beneath that sculptured pompous marble stone lies youthful Florio, aged twenty-one. Cropped like a flower, he withered in his bloom. The flattering life had promised years to come. Ye silken sons, ye florios of the age, who tread in giddy maze life's flowery stage. Mark here the end of man, and florio see what you and all the sons of earth must be. There low in dust the vain Hortensia lies whose splendor was beheld with envious eyes, titles and arms his pompous marvel grace, with a long history of his noble race. Still after death his vanity survives, and on his tomb all of Hortensio lives. Around me as I turn my wandering eyes, unnumbered graves in awful prospect rise, whose stones say only when their owners died, if younger aged and to whom allied. On others pompous epitaphs are spread in memory of the virtues of the dead. Vain waste of praise, since flattering or sincere, the judgment day alone will make appear. How silent is this little spot of ground how melancholy looks each object round. Here a man dissolved in shattered ruin lies, so fast asleep as if no more to rise. Tis strange to think how these dead bones can live, leap into form and with new heat revive, or how this trodden earth to life shall wake, know its own place, its former figure take. But whence these doubts, when the last trumpet sounds, through heaven's expanse to earth's remotest bounds, the dead shall quit these tenements of clay and view again the long extinguished day. Cheered with this pleasing hope, I safely trust the Almighty's power to raise me from the dust. On his unfailing promises rely, 
nor the horrors of the grave defy. Death, where's thy sting? Grave, where's thy victory? And here's one called The Grave by Robert Blair, written in 1743. The grave is mine house, Job, the house appointed for all living, Job. Now we begin the poem. Well, some affect the sun and some the shade, some flee the city, some the hermitage. Their aims as various as the roads they take in journeying through life. The task be mine to paint the gloomy horrors of the tomb, the appointed place of rendezvous where all these travelers meet. Thy succours I implore, eternal king, whose potent arm sustains the keys of hell and death. The grave dread thing men shiver when thou art named. Nature appalled shakes off her wonted firmness. Ah, how dark thy long extended realms and rueful wastes, where naught but silence reigns in night, dark night. Dark as was chaos ere the infant sun was rolled together or had tried its beams athwart the gloom profound. The sickly taper by glimmering through thy low-browed misty vaults, furred round with moldy damps and ropey slime, lets fall a supernumerary horror and only serves to make thy night more irksome. Well do I know thee by thy trusty you, cheerless, unsocial plant that loves to dwell midst skulls and coffins, epitaphs and worms, where light-heeled ghosts in visionary shades beneath the wan, cold moon, embodied thick, perform their mystic rounds. No other merriment, dull tree, is thine. See yonder hallowed fane, the pious works of names once famed, now dubious or forgot and buried midst the wreck of things which were, there lie interred the most illustrious dead. The wind is up, hark how it howls, methinks till now I never heard a sound so dreary. Doors creak and windows clap and night's foul bird rooked in the spire screams loud, the gloomy airless black plaster and hung round with shreds of stutchians and tattered coats of arms send back the sound laden with heavier airs from the low vaults the mansions of the dead roused from their slumbers in grim array the grisly spectres rise grin horrible and obstinately sullen pass and repass hushed as the foot of night. Again the screech owl shrieks ungracious found sound. I'll hear no more, it makes one's blood run chill. Quite round the pile, a row of reverend elms, coeval near with that all ragged shoe. 
long lashed by the rude winds, some wrist half down their branchless trunks, others so thin atop that scarce two crows can lodge in the same tree. Strange things, the neighbors say, have happened here. Wild shrieks have issued from the hollow tombs. Dead men have come again and walked about, and the great bell has tolled unrung, untouched. Such tales their cheer at wake are gossiping when it draws near to witching time of night. Often the lone churchyard at night I've seen by glimpse of moonshine checkering through the trees, the schoolboy with his satchel in his hand, whistling aloud to bear his courage up and lightly tripping o'er the long flat stones that tell in homely phrase who lie below. Sudden he starts and hears, or thinks he hears, the sound of something purring at his heels. Full fast he flies and dares not look behind him, till out of breath he overtakes his fellows who gather round and wonder at the tale of horrid apparition, tall and ghastly, that walks at dead of night or takes his stand, or some new open grave, and strange to tell, he vanishes at crowing of the cock. The new-made widow, too, I've sometimes spied, sad sight, slow moving o'er the prostrate dead, Lifeless she crawls along in doleful black, while bursts of sorrow gush from either eye, fast falling down her now untasted cheek. Prone on the lovely grave of the dear man she drops, whilst busy meddling memory in barbarous succession musters up the past endearments of her, their softer hours, tenacious of its theme. Still, still she thinks she sees him, and indulging the fond thought, she clings more closely to the senseless turf, nor heeds the passenger who looks that way. Invidious grave, how durst thou rend and sunder, whom love has knit and sympathy made one? A tie more stubborn far than nature's bond. Friendship, mysterious cement of the soul, sweetener of life, and solder of society. I owe thee much thou hast deserved from me, far, far beyond what I can ever pay. Oft have I proved the labors of thy love and the warm efforts of the gentle heart, anxious to please. Oft when my friend and I in some thick wood have wandered heedless on, hid from the vulgar eye, and sat us down upon the sloping cowslip-covered bank, where the pure limpid stream has slid along, in grateful errors through the underwood, sweet murmuring, methought the shrill-tongued thrush, mended his song of love, the sooty blackbird mellowed his pipe and softened every note, the eglantine smelled sweeter, and the rose affirmed a dye more deep, whilst every flower vied with its fellow plot in luxury of dress. Oh, the longest summer's day seemed too, too much in haste. Still the full heart had not imparted half. T'was happiness too exquisite to last. 
of joys departed not to return, how painful the remembrance. Dull grave thou spoilest the dance of youthful blood, stakest out the dimple from the cheek of mirth, and every smirking feature from the face, branding our laughter with the name of madness. Where are the jesters now, the men of health complexionally pleasant, where the droll, whose every look and gesture was a joke, to clappening theaters and shouting crowds and make even thick-lipped musing melancholy, to gather up her face into a smile before she was aware. Ah, fallen now, sullen now, and dumb as the green turf that covers them. Where are the mighty thunderbolts of war, the Roman Caesars and the Grecian chiefs, the boast of story, where the hot-brained youth, who the tiara at his pleasure tore from kings of all the then-discovered globe and cried forsooth because his arm was hampered and it had not room enough to do its work. Alas, how slim, dishonorably slim, and crammed into a space we blush to name. Proud royalty, how altered in thy looks, how blank thy features, and how wan thy hue. Son of the morning, whither art thou gone? Where hast thou hid thy many-spangled head, and the majestic menace of thine eyes, felt from afar? Pliant and powerless now, like newborn infant bound up in a swathes, or victim tumbled flat upon his back that throbs beneath the sacrificer's knife. Mute must thou bear the strife of little tongues and coward insults of the base-born crowd that grudge a privilege thou never hadst, but only hoped for in the peaceful grave of being unmolested and alone. Thank you.